This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. The hustle never stops. Never ends. Except for kind of all the time it stops. Uh, Kind of comes screeching to a halt kind of whenever I feel like not hustling. Except when it's time to free Britney with our small but important platform. Mistakes. Ow. We are going to single-handedly get her out of this conservatorship. You know, the judge has been waiting for us to chime in. I think so. And we're going to be the straw that breaks the conservatorship's back. We are. And sorry, Brittany's Graham and all the podcasts (laughs) that have done the legwork. Unfortunately, we're going to be the final blow. (laughs) Um, and it's fortunate for us because that's really what's going to put us right on the fucking map. map. <laughs> you know, just like kind of what this whole conservatorship is about is like, you know, people using Britney for their own gain. <laughs> and we're trying to hop right on that train at the final hour and do kind of none of the work. Yeah. Kind of like her dad. Exactly. Hop on that train at the final hour, do none of the work. Exactly. Um, and Elisa, much like Lynn Spears, is just kind of the quiet... <laughs> The quiet witness witness that is really helping the exploitation along. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, Jamie Spears is the hero of the story, I think, undisputably. Indisputably? Undisputably. I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> uh, this is a pro-Jamie Spears podcast. <laughs> J slash K. Uh, JK Rowling. Anyway, I truly did... Um, Drive straight from Vermont to this podcast (laughs) today. I drove basically five hours listening to that BBC podcast about Britney Spears the entire way, nonstop. I'm only a half hour away from completion on that podcast. Amazing. So I also did my homework for this, but don't worry. This is still fully you. (laughs) You're the one with the notes. I may interject with fun anecdotes from the pod, but that's it. Please do. Um, There's but so much here. That is for later. Yeah. We'll, we'll get later. to that in the second half. Um, as always, we are simply dying of heat stroke in Elisa's bedroom. <laughs> and we want to deliver you the podcast that you know and love. So we're going to do our, our little segments first. Yes. Our cute little segments. Yes. Um, do you want to? Kick us off or should I with Mistakes, Keepsakes, Hot Takes? Mistakes, Keepsakes, and Hot Takes. Um, I don't know if I have a hot take, but like maybe I'll be able to brew one the fuck up. My keepsake is easy. My keepsake just happened, which was I came home and the friend of ours that has been staying in my room um, came out to me, revealed a piece of information to me um, and told me that like staying in my room was like a huge part of that realization for them, for her. For her. And um, they were like, yeah, thanks for letting me stay in your in in my bed in the bedroom of my dreams and like so much magic happened in here while you were gone and like I don't know, it just was very meaningful to me that even in my absence I like played a role in this like pivotal moment in a yeah. dear friend's life. Lots of portals opened up in portals? that room. <laughs> okay, Nika just did a sexual gesture. 
I refuse to say more because this is a family podcast. <laughs> um, obscene, I would say. Portals opening up everywhere. Yeah, portals truly opened up in the heart and in the soul, but also probably in the butthole. And, I love that. and maybe the mouth. Probably the mouth. Probably too. the mouth, yeah. Um, yeah, that was another moment where uh, she was telling me about like, some sex that she had in my room and I was like oh was that with this person or was that a different person you had sex with in my room and they were like she was like that's a different person I had sex with in your room and I was like I think you've had more sex in my room than I have um because I famously like to have sex in other people's rooms I don't have people over a lot so So I'm like I think this friend has had more sex in my bed than I have which I think is kind of iconic that makes sense for this particular friend too definitely no I mean I told her explicitly that she's more than welcome to absolutely get railed in my bed while I'm gone. So I was not upset. I just thought it was funny that um, there were multiple sex stories to be told about my bed since I've been gone. And I famously only sleep with my dog in my bed and I get railed in other people's beds. So that's kind of my <laughs> that's kind of my M.O. Mostly because I really hate kicking people out and people refuse to just leave on their own yeah no yeah (laughs) we've we've uh you and i have bonded over this (laughs) how it's like i'm just gonna i i don't mind being kicked out yeah i just don't like kicking out no i immediately leave you don't even have to kick me out same sometimes i kind of linger just to see if you'll invite me to stay but very rarely because i rarely want to stay exactly Anyway, but I still, I love that for her. Um, and, you know, maybe one day we'll mm-hmm. shout her out on the pod. When I mean, she changed her pronouns in her Instagram. So if, yeah. if anyone can figure it out, I don't think we're outing this person, but I'm no. not going to do a shout out until it's, you know. Yeah, confirmed. It's 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 been a soft announcement, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, ugh, we love, we love our... Uh, trans and non-binary and queer group of besties that just keeps evolving and growing and anyway it it warms my little heart so that's my keepsake I'm like you know I hate to speak in magical terms but I feel like that's a lot of positive energy that has been like supercharging in my bedroom but I'm like okay I'm gonna try to see what what this magic can do for me now (laughs) thanks for blessing my room with something so transcendent so to speak um Mistake. Uh, I mean, my mistake this week. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was like I've had kind of a blah week emotionally. I think I absorbed a lot of other people's emotions in a way that wasn't anyone else's fault, like fully on me. But I'm. I don't know. I was a little codependent this week Mm. and I like took other people's problems on as my own, not in a way that anyone else I think felt or could pick up on that. I was, you know, I wasn't like your struggle is my struggle, but my like soul did that, which was a little bit annoying for me because I'm like, nobody needed this and it's not helping. And if anything, it's just making my, it's like weighing me down and whatever. So that was my mistake. I think I'm, I don't know. I think I'd be also a more effective support system to my friends if I didn't do that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. Um, So, yeah. Simple mistake. Doesn't really need extrapolating on. Um, My hot take. 
come on, Anya. I know you had one. (laughs) (laughs) My my brain is just full of Britney right now because of just (laughs) listening to that podcast with zero breaks. I mean, kind of my hot take is that 5th of July traffic is not as bad as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> that was kind of a ongoing point of like concern. Yeah, I like never heard of that even being a major thing. It's not really. I think maybe it, it might be more of a thing in the South. I don't know. But like, I don't know if you want to leave, our, just leave. <laughs> our group of friends in Vermont, like really rearranged their whole schedules to make sure to not be driving on the 5th of July. And then we're famously recording this right now on the 5th of July. And I, Drove all the way from Vermont to New York City today during prime traffic hours. I left at 2 p.m. and got here at 7 p.m., 7.30. And I guess, I guess there was like a tiny bit of traffic on like one of the bridges when I came into the city, Mm -hmm. but like not more than usual. Like there was way more traffic leaving the city when we left than coming back. So I'm just like, I don't know. That's not that hot of a take, but it's just I was very um, flabbergasted by what a issue this was for everybody. And then I drove today kind of being like, OK, here goes nothing like this might be a terrible mistake. And then it was truly fine. That's not my total hot take, but I do just just want to say that because um, it wasn't bad. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I was um, I don't know. Maybe it's something more of a thing in the South. Oh, another hot take that isn't really mine, but I read about yesterday and it just happens to coincide or not coincide. It's congruent with my experience is that apparently, according to like (laughs) bladder doctors, um, you don't need to pee as often as everyone thinks you do. Like everyone who says they have a small bladder, really, they've just trained their bladder to pee like the second they need to pee. And it's actually not bad for you to hold your pee. And it's actually good for you to like hold your pee and kind of train yourself to not pee as often for, I forget the exact reasons, but if for no other reason, schedule wise, it's good for you and it's not bad for you to do that. Interesting. But I think it's actually, there's also health benefits to doing that because it's not good to be constantly peeing. And so I guess there's a bunch of doctors that have like agreed that like our society has this like pee just in case mentality of like, before I leave, I'm going to pee so that I don't need to pee later or whatever. And when you do that, you're training your bladder to not hold on to as much urine and therefore you'll need to pee more often. Um, I have always been a person who I don't think I'm very dehydrated, but I only pee like four times a day Hmm. and everyone has always been like, you need to drink more water. And I'm, I've always been like, I don't think, I think I drink enough water. My pee is like a normal color. I just don't need to pee as often as everyone else seems to. And then I read this study and I've been like, Oh my God, I somehow was training my body this whole time to just not have to pee as often. Cause I just like, didn't do that peeing just in case thing or whatever they're saying. So anyway, this isn't a hot take so much as something that I learned that I can confirm. I'm like, I'm not dehydrated and I don't, I'm not constantly looking for a bathroom the way my friends seem to always be like desperately needing to pee. Yeah. Um, And I just think that everyone could benefit from just holding your pee a little bit longer and slowly training your bladder to hold more pee. It's, so much easier for your day. I never really have to pee out in public. I only really pee when I'm home. Hmm. 
I mean, obviously, if I'm gone for like eight hours, I'll pee out in public. But like, yeah. yeah. And I never pee in the middle of the night. Never have to wake up to pee. And I've always been like, I don't know. I guess I have a huge bladder, but mm-hmm. I whatever. I just I, I don't think that I'm better than anyone for having done this unknowingly. I just happen to have done it unknowingly and it worked. So I want everyone out there to know you're peeing more than you need to. The same study also said your pee doesn't need to be clear. In fact, when your pee is clear, it's your body telling you you're drinking too much. Your pee should be a little bit yellow. Just so everyone knows. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's my hot take. Sick. All right. Um, so my mistake, it's not a major one, so that's good. I just like have neglected OnlyFans um for while we were on vacation. Oh, I did that too. And like logged in today to see how many subscribers I lost and was like, Ugh. um so <laughs> subscribe. Uh, subscribe to my OnlyFans. Yeah. Um and I will put content out this week. Um so yeah, just gotta pay more attention to that. Um my keepsake is definitely yesterday, um, as you know, and I'm not going to get like into it, but I've been dealing with some pretty like heavy personal recent news and have been like very sad about it. Um, and it like was delivered on like the last half of our vacation, which was a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I... Got back yesterday from Vermont in the afternoon and then went to a party at Knockdown Center with our friends. And then a bunch of our other friends ended up being there, like the fairies. Um, And it was just really nice. Like I I got to dance from like five to like 1030 nonstop. There were like, I don't know how many hundreds of people there, but it was really packed. Um... And our friend that you were just mentioning came out to me as trans while we were there, which was really beautiful and nice and fun. This is someone that I've like, when I met them was like, that's a future doll. Um, And like, we used to like, also sort of felt that for a long time. And we used to joke about it too. They would always say like, they would always make jokes about one day going on hormones and being really hot. Um, So when they told me it was just like very nice to hear, um, so yeah, it was just it was a very cathartic day that turned into an afters at um, our friends who we usually party at afterward, and it was truly the best afters that we have ever had. Everybody that showed up from the party at Knockdown Center came with so much food and alcohol. There was literally a charcuterie board oh that God. was brought. Um, And everybody, like, cleaned up and, like, made sure that, like, the space was taken care of, which was really nice. Because I'm usually in, like, best friend cleaning up the apartment mode. And I got to just, like, chill and party and not have to worry about that. So that was nice. Um, And I'm feeling, like, better today than I have been in the last few days. Um, And my hot take is not... Really a hot take, but I just think that fireworks should be illegal. Oh my God, 100%. Um, and maybe it's because I was rolling last night, but while we were walking back, it was really, the fireworks started going off while we were at the party, and that was like really cool to see while we were dancing. But as soon as we were walking from Knockdown Center back to our friend's place, I, every time the fireworks went off, I like would jump and like we went up to his roof and I was just like disgusted by like the fact that you could literally not see most of the New York City skyline. From all the smoke. From all the smoke. And like, it just, I'm like, we don't need, if we're going to do fireworks, can we just have like silent fireworks only? Like, do they need to make that noise? It sounds like a bomb. Yeah, they're bad for the environment. They're bad for 
animals. Did you read those statistics about all the animals that fireworks Yeah, kill? that like uh, squir- or like certain animals don't go back to their nests and then yeah. abandon their babies. Birds get anxiety and, and fly for hours. Just get confused and like just like like leave and never come back yeah. or like I mean so many animals die because of fireworks obviously so much so much like if you're fireworks in rural areas fuck with like just the ecosystems of that area because you're most of the time they're doing it in like a field yeah and so all the debris is now just in that field yeah you know um and then also they're terrible for people with PTSD of any kind yeah. not just like soldiers and veterans which just because I'm anti-war and anti the military doesn't mean that I'm insensitive to like the people who suffer from those yeah traumas um and they're terrible for my dog <laughs> it's like light a fucking sparkler truly sparklers are fun they're cute <laughs> and they're yeah, quiet I fucking hate them and like I mean after last summer I, I fucking I mean this is not a hot take at all but last summer when everyone was like Y'all clearly just didn't li- have like you just moved to New York City then if you're not used to these fireworks. And it's like last summer, the fireworks were unlike any summer before. Yeah. They were every single night for like three months. Which is funny, too, because so many people that were born and raised in New York were, we're all the being ones like, were the ones being like, this is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but after last summer, I'm like, I've had my fill. I never want to hear a firework again. No, they're terrible. They're the worst. I hate them. I'm like, I'm fine. If if truly one night a year we want to have like a professional firework show. Yeah. Fine. I would prefer it's not celebrating the 4th of fucking July. Because yeah. who the fuck cares um, about that fake ass holiday that doesn't celebrate independence or liberty? Because let's be honest... The vast majority of people in the United States were not independent or free on the 4th of July, 1776. Amen, sister. But that is neither here nor there. That is not the hot take of the moment. It's just like, can we make fireworks like maybe New Year's Eve? There's like a big professional display or something, you know, even then. Yeah. I don't want them really. But if we need them. Yeah. Once. Yeah. One show. Get rid of fireworks and make the 4th of July free Britney day. That's what I think. Oh my God, yeah. Or just let's celebrate the 5th of July in New York City. Or New York in general, because that's when, um, I forget the exact year, but... 1827. The the slaves in New York were freed, or at least slavery was made illegal. Yeah. I know that those two things didn't always happen at the same time, but... Like, yeah, let's celebrate the 5th of July in New York. Everyone, find out the exact date that slavery became illegal in your state. Make that your 4th of July. Yeah. In your state. And how fun would that be? I mean, don't do fireworks. Oh, my God. Fuck that. If we were just doing fireworks intermittently, like, throughout (laughs) the year like that. But, like, how fun would that be if instead of just one day, it's the the 4th of July. It's kind of like pride. Every city would have its own date. Yep. <clears throat> I love that. <laughs> let's do that instead, let's you guys. And by let's, I mean let's let black people do it, and those of us who are invited to celebrate with them can do so. And otherwise, stay your ass home. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I agree with that hot take. Fuck fireworks. Fuck, fuck up of the week. Obviously, the Gulf of Mexico, right? Oh, okay. Oh, what yeah. were you gonna say? I was well. Wait, did it happen this week or was it last week that um the, I was gonna not to say everything's about Britney, but I was gonna relate it back to um the uh, ruling. Oh, but that was about a different 
thing. Yeah, it was, but it just happened this week. So yeah. I, thought I, could, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fuck up either way, but it's not yeah. in response to her testimony, no, which not. is important context. Yeah. I know a lot of people thought that like, yeah, that was. No, it was not. No. Yeah. There was a shitty ruling in Britney's case, but a lot of people are saying that that ruling was actually to gear up for a more favorable ruling yeah. in response to her testimony. Yes. But all that being said, still a shitty ruling. Yeah. From so yeah, judge. the Gulf of Mexico for sure being on fire. Yeah, Gulf of Mexico, um, a pipeline burst, and then the actual ocean where it was on fire. I don't think I need to inform anybody <laughs> of that. I think if you're on planet Earth this week, um, you're aware. Although actually, I was I had breakfast at my dad's today, and one of his friends that's staying with him right now didn't know about the Miami condominium that collapsed and i was like you know what maybe i'm more tuned into the news than the average person because to me i was like how could you miss that yeah i don't know gulf of mexico is bigger than that right as far as news totally but yeah we also like spend so much of our time online so it's like we get constant um intake of news that other people might not be getting in any case um the oil company that controls the pipeline is called Pemex, P-E-M-E-X. It's a Mexican oil company. Let's not forget their fucking name. Let's not forget <laughs> any of the people that they supply oil to, if we can get our uh, hands on that information. Um, but that pipeline burst, there is a like eye of fire looking like Lord of the Rings ass just true pit of fire in the ocean real post-apocalyptic shit that we we caused so that would be the fuck up of the week yes um and much like the meme that's kind of like there's not a meme so much as just like a quote is going around that um says the earth is not dying it is being killed and those who are killing it have names and addresses kind of could be also a hot take, honestly. But let's not forget that in this fuck up. Yes. That, um, you know, no amount of paper straws could have prevented this. This is true, just corporate evil. And it is very specific, very evil people that are doing this kind of shit. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure we all have at least one straw that was once in our mouth that it that ended up in a sea turtle's eye, like, I don't think any of us are innocent in this climate disaster, but it is not to the same extent at all. No, not and it's like apples and oranges. It truly, I mean, it's like apples and fucking cherry pits or what's even smaller than a cherry pit. It's apples and watermelons. They're the watermelons. We're the apples. Listener mistakes. Dear Nika and Anya. First of all, I heart you both, and I've been a listener's, listener since episode one. Ooh. As a special shout out to Anya, I'm an Aries too. Love my fellow firstborn leaders. And while I was naked tripping on shrooms in a state park in Maine, your tweet about something like, all my fellow Aries should get naked in nature soon, popped into my head, and I was like, wow, they were right. I'm having a fucking blast. <laughs> Love I that. wanted to write in a mistake. For a while, but couldn't remember anything. Then last week, I made a big one. Anyway, this last paragraph is my for the pod submission. 
the rest doesn't need to be read um, for all but whatever it was cute so we're reading it yeah <laughs> we're leaving it in we'll do it live me she her 22 my partner they them 22 a 46 year old lesbian she her two bottles of liquor and a very unfortunate threesome not to mention the fact that the 46 year old was my partner's old sat tutor don't know what was worse, the completely messy and tearful threesome ending because we had to look for the older woman's cat or the horrendous hangover I had the next day. Either way, yikes. <laughs> Whoa. <gasps> Interesting. Oh, God, I wish you provided more detail. Same. Uh, yeah, I want to know why we it was tearful. We have questions. I mean, tearsomes. Threesomes end in tears often. Yeah. yeah but we I still mean, would like to know why this one did. Yeah. Um, Looking for her cat. Also, why did you guys have a threesome with your partner's former SAT (laughs) tutor? That is something I want you to unpack. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Former authority figures are hot to I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just curious why, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, I don't like, you know, you said that this is a big mistake, right? So we're going to need, please write in and let us know what made it a big mistake versus just like an awkward threesome, you know? The completely messy and tearful threesome ending because we had to look for the older woman's cat or the horrendous hangover the next day. I want to know what happened to the cat. Did you find it? Did you find the cat? Please let us know. <laughs> Give us a follow up. Um, and thanks for listening since episode one. Uh, and thanks for sharing a mistake. I love when people keep saying that they want to share a mistake, but they can't think of one. I'm like, yeah. babe, what kind of life have you been living? <laughs> can't think of one. Interesting. <laughs> Deep dive. Deep dive. This kind of relates to my deep dive. Have I told the deep dive of when I kind of like two timed these brothers in Burlington? I alluded to it once, but I didn't tell it in depth, did I? I don't think. I mean, I've heard this story from you, uh, but I don't think that you have talked about it on on the podcast. Okay, great. So it kind of relates because it involves like. To, like it's a love triangle. It wasn't a threesome ever. Although looking back, that's maybe how we could have solved everything. Um, <laughs> okay. I like, you know, it's kind of a long story that I'm going to try to condense into just kind of like what I learned from it all. But when I was 18, um, I was still living in my hometown and I was c- commuting to Burlington, Vermont very regularly to do stand up comedy because I had just started doing stand-up and then also because my hometown was kind of boring and Burlington is where there were like cool hot young people to hang out with it's a college town and I was just you know starting to like feel like I was finding like-minded people and I just want to spend more and more time with them and around new people Mm -hmm. and one of the people that I met while I was still living in my hometown was this guy, we'll call him Charlie. And I was 18. I think he was 27 at the time, which I don't think was a problematic age difference. But in retrospect, it's weird that I'm still younger than he was when we met. And I don't think I would probably like 
form a relationship with an 18 year old the way he did but I'm still friends with him to this day and I don't like judge him for that but that definitely added there was like a little bit of a power dynamic there where like he had like lived in New York City for a while and had this whole interesting like adult life and I was really like entering my adulthood and like he was kind of this guy that I started hanging out with and having sex with when I was in Burlington and um I was on Tinder a lot. Tinder had just become a thing. And I started every time I was in Burlington, um, cause Tinder was fucking not interesting at all in my hometown, except for the occasional hiker that was hiking the long trail that would like come through my town. It was pretty dead. So when I was in Burlington, I'd go on these Tinder dates and there was this other guy that I met on Tinder that I like immediately really, really liked and was super attracted to. Um, let's call him, Drake. <laughs> For some reason, Drake Bell mm. occurred to me. I, I do not want to uh, compare him to Drake Bell, but it's just a m- name that is on my mind lately because of how gross and disappointing he is. Anyway, let's call him Drake. Um, I thought he was super hot and cool. We go on this really weird, awkward Tinder date that like we we absolutely do not fuck. And I still am smitten with him, but I can tell that like, it's never, I'm never going to see him again, Mm -hmm. but I still text him being like, well, you know, if you ever want to hang out again, I'd like another chance at not having like an awkward date. And I don't know. We had like a funny rapport and I, there's just something about him that I really liked. So then I go hang out with Charlie maybe the next weekend or whatever. And when we're walking down church street in Burlington, um, Drake is like, walking the opposite direction and is coming up to us. And Charlie is like, Oh my God, this is my like really, really good friend, Drake, who was my foster brother for a long time. And like, he's like, you know, my lifelong friend. And like, it's so cool to like introduce you to or whatever. And for whatever reason, Drake and I both decide to not say that we've met in that moment. Oh my God. We just act like that is the first time we've met. And there's like this weird moment where we both just kind of decide to do that. I to this day don't know why we did that. So anyway, fast forward a few months, I moved to Burlington and Charlie ghosts me. And I find that really annoying because I'm like, we've been seeing each other kind of consistently for a while. There's a few like traumatic things that happened in that time period that he was like there for me for. And it's not that I wanted to date him and like be officially boyfriend and girlfriend. But I was like, it's weird that as soon as I live in the city that you live in, now I'm like too available and you can't take it and you just ghost me. Um, Alternatively, Drake notices that I have moved to the city based on my Instagram or something. And he's like, Hey, we should hang out again. Like, sorry, our date was so awkward. And I'm like, it's, I'm still really attracted to him, but I'm like, it's weird that you're the one with this emotional connection to Charlie. Um, and you're the one suggesting that we should like hang out Yeah. when we've just met the other, like a couple weeks ago with like, kind of this like implication that Charlie and I are together and I have not like I have not confirmed with you that we're not I don't know I was like that's kind of shady but also I don't know I had a crush on him so and I was 18 and I was like yeah for sure let's hang out so (sighs) Drake comes over drunk as a fucking skunk and for some reason 
as an I guess I'm 18 and I don't like realize how unattractive that is yet. So I still have sex with him. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, I think literally the very next day, Charlie texts me and is no longer ghosting me. And this is where I think my mistake comes in, like the official crossroads of where I could have been like, hey, just so you know, I actually like met Drake a while ago and not the time that you introduced us. And I don't know why we didn't say anything, Mm -hmm. but I'm like hooking up with him now. And you should know that. Like, I should have just said that instead. Then then follows literally months of what my roommates at the time described as a revolving door of brothers that don't know about each other (laughs) of uh, Drake and Charlie truly like one day after the other coming to stay at my apartment or me staying at theirs. And both of them thinking like Drake is under the impression that Charlie and I are over and Charlie doesn't even know that I have no Drake outside of the one time we met through him on church street in Burlington. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually it all comes to a weird head where um, I think we're at this party that they're both at. It's like Charlie's birthday party. And I think Drake just like tells him it's like, just so you know, I've been like fucking Anya for a while now. And I was mad at that because I'm like, well, we sh- like, that's also my thing to tell. But I feel, I knew that I was fucking up by not being honest. Yeah. Um, and so then, I don't know. They're both good guys that I'm still friends with now after like kind of a chaotic and dramatic fallout as a result of all of this. But like, you know, Charlie pretended it didn't bother him that much. And like Drake ended up getting like even more emotionally invested in me after we like shared this like, you know, you know how the way that people people who like cheat together think that they're in love, but yeah. it's because they're like sharing this like stressful secret. Yes. Drake and I kind of form this codependence because we like both hurt Charlie and like it just turned into this whole thing that was so avoidable if first of all I just didn't fuck this guy who was like kind of an alcoholic asshole that meanwhile, like Charlie ghosted me too originally. And I shouldn't have run back into his arms when he unghosted me. Like, honestly, I should have cut them both off when they both were kind of douchebags. But then I became the douchebag by like letting this dishonest, weird love triangle go on with two people that like didn't actually really deserve my time and energy in that way. I think they're both great guys now. And I really am good friends with, at least one of them. And I'm like, you know, cordial with the other one. But like at the time, these were two 27 and 28 year olds that were like kind of stringing me along too, as this 18 year old who just moved to this city that they both were like sinking their like weird washed up musician fangs into. However, my mistake is by letting letting myself like get any feel any kind of like you know feelings for either of them and get swept up in the like you know main character syndrome that I had where I thought that I could like that there was any ending to that that wasn't just hurting everyone's feelings including my own yeah 
Um, and then for both of them, I continued to have a weird, messy on again, off again, bullshit fling with them for like years after that, like very on again, off again, like they would be off for a while. But like both of them, that was not the last time that I had a like thing with either of them. Yeah. And like that, I think, was also only the case because I went through this like dramatic love triangle with them both and I thought that that was like romantic somehow I don't know anyway I learned a lot about honesty and about being like upfront in that situation and I also just learned a lot about like my own time being valuable and like you know even when you're being the asshole in a situation it's still possible that the other people that you are the asshole of the situation in are not like worth that time you know yeah so that's my mistake well it's my deep dive much like you two-timing these two brothers (laughs) foster brothers foster brothers um we are talking today about britney spears's conservatorship and how she was emotionally two-timed by the california legal system (laughs) Yes. And tie it in. Her entire fucking family. Best mistake. So, um, if you have a pulse, you know that Britney Spears has been in a conservatorship. Maybe you don't know that it's been 13 years. I didn't even realize that it's been that long she's been in a conservatorship for the last 13 years both of her person so all of the decisions that are made for her and of her estate so all of the money that she makes is also controlled by this conservatorship um she recently as we both know um had a really shocking testimony in court and it was recorded and leaked um to the press 23 minutes of her for the first time ever, coming out and publicly speaking out against the conservatorship um, and ta- calling it many times in the testimony abusive um, and traumatic. Um, and that then led to more press about a 911 call that was made the night before the testimony um, where Britney Spears called 911 to report herself as a victim of abuse Um, under this conservatorship. Um, And so two days ago um, in the New Yorker, Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino wrote a huge, disturbing, very long, in-depth expose. It's called Britney Spears' Conservatorship Nightmare, how the pop star's father and a team of lawyers seized control of her life and have held on to it for 13 years. Um, That is my main source. That's where I have gotten all of the information that I will be reading about. Um, And so buckle up because it's going to be, might be one of our like lengthiest episodes yet, possibly. Um, And I'm excited. Um, As we know, Brittany has a, um, she has another court date on July 14th. So in uh, a week and a half, I think that is. So when this comes out, it'll be, I think, um, exactly a week. Hold on. It will be just under a week from the day this is coming out. Cool. Yeah. So she has another um, hearing or court date, July 14th, um, to talk about the future of the conservatorship. She asked in this testimony multiple times for the conservatorship to be 
terminated without having to be evaluated um, by a team of psychiatrists and lawyers, etc. And her lawyer, Sam Ingham, after the cons- or after the testimony, um, prepared the paperwork to file for the conservatorship to be terminated, but it still has not been actually filed. And Bessemer Trust, who is the recent co-conservator um, of the conservatorship, has filed a petition to step down. Um, after hearing her testimony, they said that they thought that she was a willing participant in the conservatorship and that she had handpicked them, and so they don't want to be involved in the conservatorship anymore. So a, a lot is happening, and it's looking hopeful that maybe after this, especially with this expose and the 911 call and the testimony, that she will be free imminently. Um, so I just want to provide a timeline um, of events leading to the conservatorship because I think it's important to kind of refresh all of our memories of what was going on before the 2008 conservatorship took place. So... Everything started about four years before the conservatorship, and it can all kind of be linked to when Brittany married Kevin Federline. So they marry in 2004. Ten months later, their first son, Sean, is born. A little over a year later, she gives birth birth to their second son, Jaden, in September of 2006. Um, And all this is happening at the height of intense media scrutiny and harassment from the paparazzi towards Britney Spears, but also all of the female celebrities of that time. So Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, etc. As we remember the, uh, the New York bimbo the Bimbo Summit. Um, so people close to Britney, including her mother, Lynn Spears, who writes in her 2008 memoir, um, later say that they believe Britney was suffering from postpartum depression, but no one ever brings it up at the time. So in November of 2006, Brittany files for divorce, and the next day she files for sole custody of her children. So the next day, K-Fed comes out, and he files for sole custody of their children, and a contentious custody battle ensues, causing the paparazzi harassment and media scrutiny to become even worse. So hop forward to February 2007. She shaves her head at a salon in California, and two days later... Um, everyone remembers this. She attacks a paparazzi car with an umbrella when they follow her to K-Fed's house with her cousin and assistant Allie while she's trying to see her children. Kevin doesn't allow her to see them. The paparazzi follow her and she, uh, she attacks their car with an umbrella. So these two incidents go on to cement her and image. Some would say she like defends herself from their prowling, yeah. like, stalking more than she attacks them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's painted as though she like has a psychotic break yes. and attacks them, and really, it's like. In retrospect, everyone's like, yeah, that's kind of the most mild reaction a lot of people yeah. would have in a situation where you're being. Followed by a horde of crazy people while you're just trying to see your fucking children in a really stressful moment in your life. Yes. So these two incidents back to back, the shaving of the head and then the incident with her rightfully so fucking up this paparazzo's car with an umbrella. um, It really cements her image in the media as being out of control. And her mother and K-Fed insist that if she wants to see her kids, she has to check into rehab. So she checks into a rehab in Antigua, but she checks out after just one day. And the judge overseeing the custody battle grants Kevin uh, K-Fed sole custody, citing Brittany's habitual frequent use of controlled substances and alcohol. So Brittany is granted four days of visitation per week under the eye of a court-ordered monitor, Robin Johnson. And we're going to circle back to Robin Johnson. Um, 
So around this time, Brittany meets and becomes close with a self-made Hollywood guru type named Sam Luffy, um, who was known for inserting himself into the lives of female celebrities who were having public breakdowns. He helped um, Amanda Bynes' parents put her into a conservatorship. Um, And he was also Courtney Love's manager for five years before she got a restraining order against him as recently as two years ago. Um, And she, yeah, she has spoken out about him um, and has had a lot of bad things to say about him. So around this time, Jamie Spears, Britney's dad, becomes close with Lou Taylor, who's a Hollywood type business manager and evangelical Christian. Lou Taylor, for context, is Jamie Lynn Spears's manager um, currently, and she also manages... um, she works with the Kardashians and helps to manage their businesses. And for like more context, last year, um, Kim Kardashian and Kris Jenner tried to get a 5150 hold placed on Kanye West with the help of Lou Taylor. Okay. So this woman has like a history of kind of buzzing around celebrities that are going through mental health crises and helping to get them put into conservatorships. Um, so Taylor at the time tried to get the Lohan family, according to Lindsay Lohan's father, put into a, into a conservatorship. Um, and in a recent interview, Courtney Love said that Taylor tried to wrest control over her family's estate. Taylor's lawyers refute both of these claims. Um, but at the time, Taylor tries to contact Britney several times, which Britney absolutely rebuffs and is like, I'm not interested. So, um, Britney's housekeeper at the time says in in this article is quoted as saying the days she didn't have the kids with her were hard but even then she was never doing anything to hurt anyone it was really hard for her having the kids for just a few hours when she had to say goodbye it was very sad i'd carry one to the car and she would take the other and they would cry a lot and she would cry too spears grew so lonely that she would sometimes ask her housekeeper if she could bring her own children to the house and stay the night She used to ask me if I was happy, the housekeeper said, and I used to say yes. And she would say, I just want to be happy. I want to have a family. I want my kids with me every day. So in January 2008, things get even worse for Brittany when a visit with her sons comes to an end. Um, Brittany is crying and she says, I just want to keep my kids with me. Why do they have to go? As a bodyguard for KFED had come to take the kids back to KFED's house. So Brittany eventually hands Sean to the bodyguard, but she goes into her bathroom with Jaden and locks the door, according to the bodyguard. But Lutfi refutes that the door was locked. He says that the doors in her house didn't even lock properly and that it was very easy to just get into a room. So KFED's lawyer calls the police and the fire department, who in turn send an ambulance so news crews, news crews are gathered outside of Brittany's house while four helicopters are circled overhead. Lutfi arrives at the house to find the house filled with cops and firefighters wielding axes. When he opens the bathroom door, he finds Brittany standing and pacing, dressed for a night out, while she's holding a sleeping Jaden in her arms. So Lutfi convinces her to hand Jaden over, but before she can, firemen enter the bathroom and strap Brittany to a gurney, placing her under a 5150, which for anyone not familiar, a 5150 is an emergency psychiatric hold in which a person having a mental health episode can be involuntarily hospitalized. 
In the state of California. In the state of California. So Lutfi and Brittany's housekeeper at the time both refute any claims that Brittany was a bad mother who endangered her kids because that was the what the media and the lawyers ran with, that Brittany had endangered Jaden in some way by taking him into the bathroom. Her housekeeper says in this article, as a mom, I can tell you Brittany was a good mom. She didn't want to hurt or do anything wrong with her kids. No, I was there and I know all she wanted was to have her kids at least another night. So Robin Johnson, who was the court-ordered monitor who oversaw the visitations, says, um, goes on to say in this article, none of this was her fault. There were so many people involved in her life that caused all of this craziness with her. I don't have anything derogatory to say about her. It was probably one of the saddest cases that I've ever done in my entire life. Oof. So now we're moving on to the conservatorship kind of being set in motion. So after the 5150, Jamie Spears and Lou Taylor began consulting lawyers about establishing a conservatorship over Britney. Britney's parents have grown increasingly wary of Lutfi's influence over Britney. They begin speculating that he's siphoning money from her. Um, at this time, um, sources from Britney's team currently, so not people Britney have hired, say that Britney at that point was down to only a few million dollars, whereas now her estate is valued at 60 million. Um, so trying to paint a picture that she was either someone was stealing money from her or she was overspending in a way that caused people to worry. Um, so, sorry. Okay, so on January 28th, 2008, Brittany and Lefty get into a fight and Lynn Spears uses this as an opportunity to get back into Brittany's life who up until this point had been keeping her family at arm's length. She was growing increasingly resentful of her parents and her brother trying to influence her life while remaining on her payroll. And so Lynn and Jacqueline Butcher, who Jacqueline Butcher is a longtime family friend who is also involved in the entertainment industry. They drive to Britney's house, but unbeknownst to them, Jamie Spears is following them in his car. So they're greeted by Lutfi, who says that Britney has left the house and she's not coming back until Jamie leaves. Jamie becomes irate but he leaves. So Brittany comes back and Lynn is able to get into the house and Lynn and, um, and butcher both go on to say that Brittany is acting erratically that night. She's odd. She's hyper. She's talking in a baby voice, compulsively combing her hair, changing her clothes and her dog's clothes several times, talking about cleaning the house. That's immaculate. Um, and butcher says that this incident is when the shit hits the fan with Lynn Galib, who Galib is a, um, paparazzo who becomes Britney's boyfriend at the time. Adnan Adnan, yeah. Adnan Galib, which is like another reason that her family is freaking out. Um, is that she like is literally sleeping with the enemy? Yeah, and there is also claims so Britney's family says that Lutfi was drugging her, crushing up pills and putting it in her food, but everybody around Lutfi, including Britney's friends, Britney's cousin, and Britney's housekeeper refute these claims. Um, but these claims, they were used in court and it's what was able to secure the conservatorship. Lutfi says that it was Galib who was drugging her and or giving her drugs as she was taking consensually. There's also a weird quote from Adnan that um, like much later on, like years later, that after the relationship that he said that Britney was the saddest person he's ever seen in his life, which is like, you know, at that point in her life that she was with him, I'm sure that's not inaccurate to describe her disposition. But it's also like, it's just a little sus for like yeah. a paparazzo to form a relationship with like the predator forming a relationship with the prey and then yes. commenting on it later on 
is just gross to me and wasn't his place to say. And then also might have been partially his fault. Yeah. Considering all the facts. Yeah. So Butcher says that um, that Lynn, Adnan, Galib, and Lutfi all get into a fight in the house while Brittany is there. And they're all screaming at each other, accusing the other of being a poor influence in her life. Brittany finally screams at them all to shut up and the night comes to an end. Um, so Lynn goes on to write in her 2008 memoir that Lutfi called her two days later to tell her that somebody was coming to commit Brittany again. Lutfi maintains to this day that Brittany's doctor called in a second 5150, but others close to the situation speculate that Lutfi said something to the doctor to trigger the situation, which he denies. Um, so Lutfi, Butcher, and Lynn Spears are at Brittany's house on this day, and police bang on the door along with firefighters and another ambulance and more helicopters, and they strap a cooperative but very scared and emotional Brittany to a gurney. So Brittany is loaded into an ambulance alone and taken to UCLA Medical Center, flanked by a police convoy the length of a football field. Jesus Christ. So Butcher accompanies Lynn and Galib to the hospital, joined shortly thereafter by Jamie Spears. Um, And it's important to note that Spears had not consented to any of them being there. So Lutfi ends up arriving at the hospital, and he's the only one in the room with Brittany, causing Jamie to become irate, saying, we're getting him out of here, we're getting the conservatorship. So the following day at Lynn's request, Butcher gets on the phone with Jamie's attorney, Geraldine Weil, and provides a comprehensive account of the events at Brittany's house in the previous day. Weil writes up a report to submit to the court, and it's taken from there. So in retrospect, Butcher feels like she was exploited, saying, I didn't know how a conservatorship worked. It was supposed to be temporary. She thought that she was helping someone she loved, and she didn't realize what what the impact was going to be. Right. So from this moment on, the conservatorship conservatorship becomes a reality that is happening with remarkable speed. The next morning, while Brittany is still at the hospital, Jamie, Lynn, and Butcher go to a small courtroom in downtown Los Angeles. Butcher's expecting to testify and answer questions, but she's told by Lynn when they get there, it's been taken care of. And the judge, uh, Reva Goetz, arrives and announces that the conservatorship has been granted. Butcher says that in retrospect, she feels haunted by the role she played in helping to secure the conservatorship. She goes on to say, a conservatorship was granted without ever talking to her. And whatever they claim about any input she had behind the scenes, how how could you have assessed her then? Shouldn't you wait a week, then interview her? She never had a chance. Now, the judge, uh, Reva Goetz, disputes this account, saying that there were lengthy confidential discussions addressing Spears' health and that it's incorrect to say that Spears was not meaningfully addressed or giving opportunities to input. She adds, I can tell you unequivocally that I did not coordinate anything related to the case without anyone connected to the case before it came in. So something important to know about conservatorships in California is that California requires that conservatives be given five days notice before a conservatorship takes effect. But this can be bypassed if a judge decides that they could suffer immediate and substantial harm. So Goetz appointed a probate lawyer named Sam Ingham as Spears' advocate, which is to this day her lawyer, and then granted the conservator's petition to waive the requirement to notify Brittany that any of this was happening. Um, Ingham remains in this role, and Spears covers his annual salary of $520,000. Her own living expenses in 2019 were $438,000. Yeah, $438,000. My God. 
So Jamie very quickly becomes a co-conservator, sharing duties with a lawyer named Andrew Wallet, who was appointed by the court. On the petition to establish the arrangement, Jamie or someone working with him checks a box indicating that Brittany has dementia. Jamie also files a restraining, or, restraining order against Lutfi on behalf of his daughter. In her memoir, Lynn claims that Lutfi told her that he had disabled Spears' cars, cut the phone lines at her house, and crushed up her medications and given them in her food. Butcher said that although she saw Lutfi give Spears what appeared to be prescription medication, she can't corroborate the other allegations, many of which were later not supported by sworn declarations from multiple people, including Robin Johnson, the court-ordered monitor, and Spears' assistant. But such allegations became central to the establishment of the conservatorship. So immediately it's made clear that Jamie Spears is the one running the show. When Butcher asks Lynn if she wants to be a co-conservator, which this part makes me so disgusted, Lynn says that it will only last a few months and that it would be better for Brittany to resent her father when it was all over rather than resent Lynn herself. At one point, Butcher recalls Jamie Spears bellowing, I am Britney Spears, when Lynn Spears starts talking about her hopes for Britney's future under the conservatorship and wanting to have more of a role in the conservatorship. Butcher says it was a refrain that she would hear him repeat often during the early years of the conservatorship. Um, And she said that Lynn, as Butcher herself remembers it, grew quiet. So immediately in the days following, three psychiatrists were asked to provide a necessary declaration confirming Spears' lack of mental fitness. The third, James Spar, provided it. Um, And earlier this year, Spar said of Spears on a podcast, I don't know why she still has a conservatorship. So as a co-conservator, Jamie reinstated Larry Rudolph as Spears' music manager, who Spears had fired a year before, and installed Lou Taylor, who Britney hates, as her business manager, first for Britney's circus tour and subsequently for her entire estate. Several people close to Spears said that she had disdained Taylor and expressed astonishment at Taylor's appointment to a controlling role in her life. Later, some members of Spears' team raised doubts about Taylor's financial management during her tours. Someone is quoted as saying, I'm not saying it was like a million dollars missing. It's not that obvious. But money was wasted in a particular way. And when I asked a question, I got shut down because nobody wanted to admit fault. Harder, Taylor's attorney, called the allegation completely false. So Brittany contacts Adam Streisand, who she wants to appoint as her own counsel, But the judge presiding over the conservatorship rules that Brittany has no capacity to retain an attorney. The lawyers noted that Spears did have the right to meet with legal counsel. So Spears meets with another another lawyer, John Erdley, who tries to move the case to federal court. But the lawyers for the conservatorship argue that Brittany had no capacity to hire legal counsel, barring her from working with Erdley. So not only is she not able to work with, with this lawyer, the legal system in California goes after him, um, trying to get him disbarred and trying to get him from never being able to practice law again because they say that he should not have taken Britney's calls or tried to work with her when she, had, when she didn't have the capacity to hire him herself. So Erdley files another declaration arguing, among other things, that Spears was being denied due process. He says, it's obvious that the conservatorship was planned well in advance of its implementation as a tool to influence the custody proceedings in the family law court and for other illicit purposes. 
In another document, he stated that the last time Spears attempted to call him, her phone was taken away from her and that the number was disconnected the next day. So Sam Ingham, who met with Spears for about 15 minutes, two days after the conservatorship was granted when he visited her at UCLA hospital, um, pretty much according to several sources close to the situation, makes his loyalty to the conservatorship and to Jamie pretty clear despite nominally representing Spears. Butcher recalled Jamie saying that Ingham reported to him on Spears' movements and activities. So, less than two months after the second 5150, Spears tapes a guest appearance on the sitcom How I Met Your Mother, and publicly her comeback begins. And it had been in the works virtually from the outset, all being planned by Jamie. Um, this is like, what, circus era? Like 2008 yeah. or 2009, I Two, guess, at this point? Yeah, early 2009. So it's leading up to her big comeback VMA performance? Yes, on and the, the documentary being made. Um, right. Yes. The Britney for the record. Yes. So Butcher remembers, and this is another really disturbing um, moment, Brittany remembers sitting in Spears' home office on one of the first days after she was released from the hospital. Butcher, Lynn, and Spears were on the floor, Brittany on her knees. Jamie was sitting at a desk. A flat-screen TV was playing nearby. Jamie said, Jamie said, baby. Butcher recalled, and I thought he was going to say, we love you, but you need help. But what he said was, you're fat. Daddy's going to get you on a diet and a trainer, and you're going to get back in shape. Butcher felt sick. Jamie pointed at the TV and said, you see that TV over there? You know what it's going to say in eight weeks? That's going to be you on there. And they're going to say, she's back. So Jamie immediately begins wearing Brittany down, screaming at her and telling her that the only way she will get her kids back is if she cooperates with what he wants her to do. So naturally, Spears begins cooperating and she gets limited access to her kids back. But Jamie begins isolating her from anyone she was close with before the conservatorship firing her housekeeper and hiring a new one who reported on all of Britney's movements. He tells her assistant slash her cousin Allie, who is also one of her best friends, that she has to stop taking Britney's phone calls and that he he basically makes a a veiled threat on her livelihood. Um, And so Allie stops taking phone calls from Britney and has not spoken to her in 13 years. Um, So... As we were just talking about, the documentary comes out and it really paints this picture of Britney in the early days of the conservatorship. And it's clear from the get that Britney is not happy in this conservatorship. She says um, in the documentary, I never wanted to become one of those prisoner people. Um, At another point, she says, I always wanted to feel free and get in my car and go and not let people make me feel like I had to stay at home. But she adds, I think that was always part of the part of me that kind of got me in trouble. I'd let certain people into my life that were just bad people. And I really paid the consequences for that big time. But I just feel like you do something wrong and you learn from it. You move on. But it's like I'm having to pay for it for a really long time. So Gallery, um, they don't include his first name, so I just have his last name. Gallery, the photographer who was her director of content and worked on the documentary, says, you know how you go for a hike and you get to the top of the mountain and you have this moment of clarity? Brittany was always at the bottom of the mountain, surrounded by security guards, all this chaos. But on occasion, things would would quiet down. We would have these talks and she would always say, I want to get married again. I want to have a husband. I want to have more kids. At the time, Gallery said, it didn't seem as though anyone imagined that the conservatorship would be a, long, a long-term arrangement. The conservatorship is then made permanent in October 2008. 
So over the holidays, Spears and Gallery are smoking cigarettes outside a dinner party when Spears gives him a handwritten letter on lined paper, which told her story in the third person and asked him if he could read it on TV. She'd been asking Gallery, she'd been asking Gallery to help her find a lawyer. He says, or so the the letter says she was lied to and set up. Her children were taken away and she did spin out of control, which any mother would in those circumstances. Spears writes that she had no rights and that the conservatorship would go on as long as the people are getting paid. So Gallery says to her, look, I will read this on TV, but you know I will be removed from your life immediately. He asked her to sit on it for a couple of days. Then all of a sudden, he said, every lawyer on the team is calling me and demanding I come in and surrender this letter. So he gives the letter to the lawyers, and soon afterward, he said, he was pushed out of her employment. Gallery read a copy of the letter on TikTok last year. He recalled contacting one of Spears' managers a few years later to see if Spears could give him a recommendation for his application to graduate school. He said the manager refused, telling him that any such document would serve as proof that Spears was of sound mind. So it gets even darker. So in January 2009, Christina, Christina Lutfi, Sam's younger sister, gets word that Spears wants a phone and that she'd be at a gym at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. She says, I got a prepaid cell phone and pretended I was a guest. She and her mom were at the gym, and so I got on a bike next to her. I was dressed to go out that night, so I took my fedora off and hit it. So 2009. (laughs) (laughs) A bodyguard was watching her while she worked out. And then she went to the locker room and I followed her and the bodyguard was standing outside. Then I saw her go to the steam room and I threw a towel over my shoulder and followed her in. She almost screamed. It was steamy and I'm not sure she was wearing anything. Maybe a towel and the stranger comes in wearing a fedora. But then I said I was Sam's sister and I gave her the phone in a Ziploc and she thanked me and ran to put it in her locker. Soon afterward, a housekeeper overhears Spears talking on the contraband phone and alerts Jamie, who orders the housekeeper to confiscate it. They ended up finding it, Christina Lutfi says. Looking back, I'm like, this is effed up. I'd been to her house. She was super sweet. She was clearly functional enough to work out and put out an album. Why, Why couldn't she have a phone? I didn't understand it. After the phone was found, Butcher said, she was exiled from Spears' orbit. She believes Jamie discovered evidence of her complicity in the plot. Anytime someone could could threaten the conservatorship, she said they were out. Sorry, I left out a part um, to explain why Butcher was exiled. Spears told Butcher about the contraband cell phone, and Butcher decided that she wasn't going to tell anyone about it because she felt that she knew it was going to be bad for Brittany if Jamie found out, but she felt that Brittany had every right to talk to a lawyer. So... That, that's what they mean by Jamie discovering evidence of her complicity in the plot. So, a few weeks go by and Lutfi and Erdley, that former lawyer, get in touch with a new lawyer, John Anderson. According to Lutfi, who was involved in brokering the meeting, Spears secret, secretly re, uh, rendezvous with a contact at the Montage Hotel in Beverly Hills and signs paper retaining Anderson's services. On January 27, 2009, Anderson notified Jamie's lawyers of his petition to grant Spears the authority to appoint independent counsel. The same day, he spoke to two of Jamie's lawyers. On January 28, the next day, Anderson sent an email to Lutfi and Ertley writing, I can say no more, will do no more, and cannot communicate with anyone in this regard any further. This is the end for me. Referencing that his career is now being sabotaged. 
So in early 2009, Jordan Miller, a journalism and media studies major in Las Vegas who runs a popular Spears, Spears fan site called Breathe Heavy, starts to publicly lobby against the conservatorship. He says it was the reports that she didn't have access to his cell phone that did it. Miller now 33 said he began uh, signing posts on the website Free Britney, followed by lots of exclamation points, he said. And I got a lot of pushback for that. People said you don't know her situation. Her family is there for her. A few months later, Miller receives a phone call from a person who patched in Jamie Spears. He told me that he was going to destroy my ass, Miller said. He was on the call for probably two or three minutes, and I got no word in edgewise. I was shaking in my childhood bedroom, terrified. After receiving a letter from Jamie's lawyer saying that Breathe Heavy had violated copyright law, Miller took down the website. But he put it up again a few days later, determined to stick to his conviction that Spears was being mistreated. Around this time, an L cover story celebrated the return of Brit, the one we love, blonde, happy, and back on top. But the paparazzi continued to stalk Spears everywhere, were catching her crying in her car and walking around looking detached and distraught. There were probably just a couple thousand of us who were trying to wrap our heads around it, Miller said. So Kim Vo, who uh, was Britney Spears' longtime hairstylist, goes out to dinner. We're jumping a few years ahead. Is uh, out to dinner with Britney Spears in 2012 in Las Vegas. So the bill is $1,300, and Spears tells him that she can't afford to pay her half of it. Yet her X Factor, at this time she's a judge on the X Factor, her X Factor role alone paid her $15 million. In sealed court records recently obtained by the Times, Spears said that she was limited to a $2,000 weekly allowance, no matter how much she earned. So Vo, who stopped doing Spears' hair, hair around 2012, said about Britney's former boyfriends, every time they get close, they disappear. Every time she gets too close to someone who could change her life, decisions are made. You're getting too close. Spears began performing in Las Vegas, and the contract paid, paid $300,000 per night, and it required that she remained under the conservatorship. She usually flew in and out for each performance to ensure that her new gig wouldn't disrupt her son's lives. It makes me sad, Vo said. said. All of us are still friends, but the only one missing is her. So the following... who are still friends? uh, All of the... uh, Her whole team from before the conservatorship, including Vo as her stylist and hairstylist. Gotcha, gotcha. um, Backup dancers, etc. Yeah. Um, So the following year, so 2013, according to the court documents obtained by the Times, Sam Ingham tells Reva Goetz, the judge in the conservatorship case that Spears was unhappy with her father as a co-conservator and wanted to terminate the arrangement. Ingham also said that Spears was interested in retiring from performing, but believed the conservatorship precluded that. The Times reported that those gathered, including the judge and lawyers on both sides, raised the possibility that Mrs. Spears' boyfriend was provoking her discontent. Her boyfriend at the time was David Licato, a non-Hollywood type from Atlanta, who, after he and Spears broke up, defended her as a great mother and spoke out against the conservatorship. His relationship with Spears reportedly ended when Jamie Spears bought a video of Licato kissing another woman and showed it to his daughter. So <sighs> Sam Lufty claims in this article that Spears sporadically reaches out to him. I'll go years without contact, and then I'll get a call every once in a while from her in a closet, he said. He believes that she has a phone that's mirrored by her lawyers and that she calls or texts only when she can get hold of another phone. Last time she called me, he was at, she was at Ralph's in Calabasas, he said. After she hung up, I got a call from the same number. It's an Asian doctor who says, wow, this is surreal. Britney Spears just borrowed my phone. 
five years ago, she borrowed. Yeah. Yeah. So five years ago, she borrowed a phone at the gym and just made off with it. Lutfi said, um, Lutfi said that the last time he saw Spears was in 2015 and that the encounter left him concerned. My opinion is that this conservatorship has drastically affected her mindset, he said. A a friend of Spears said, they made her a zombie. This is not the same girl. That year, Spears extended her Las Vegas residency in a two-year deal worth $35 million. Jamie Spears had been granted 1.5% of the gross revenues from the performances and merchandising. So in 2015, Britney Spears' Instagram changes from carefully managed branding to a weirder and more joyful Instagram presence. As we all know, low-res selfies with inspirational quotes, memes about needing chocolate and being single and not wanting to get out of bed. Really, really strange videos. Videos of her not talking but looking at the camera and kind of like moving her body around and smiling. Or like a video of her painting a picture. Yes. So some images expressed a cryptic yearning, a photo of sunlight filtering onto a path in a darkened forest captioned infinity or a photo of Mars captioned nothing is what it seems. In 2016, she posted an image with an unattributed quote. Are we also wedded to the spectorial gaze, the confirming approving gaze of others that we don't feel endorsed in the privacy of our own consciousness? In the same year, the Times reported recently, Spears told a probate court investigator that she felt the conservatorship had become an impressive and controlling, controlling tool against her and that the system had too much control, too, too much. She said that she was sick of being taken advantage of. The, investigator, the investigator's report called for a pathway to independence and the eventual termination of the conservatorship. So in 2018, a new Vegas residency called Domination is announced. But then Jamie Spears undergoes emergency surgery for a ruptured colon. And in early 2019, Spears cancels the Spears canceled um, the residency and announces a work hiatus, ostensibly on account of her father's health. She stops posting on social media for a while. Andrew Wallet, the co-conservator, resigns, receiving a hundred thousand dollar parting payment. In the following month, TMZ reported that Spears had checked into a mental health facility and Britney's Graham, which is an amazing podcast um, that, if you haven't listened to it, is dedicated to finding the deeper meaning in all of her Instagram posts. Um, They receive an anonymous voicemail and the anonymous voicemail says, hi there. I cannot disclose who I am. I used to be a paralegal for an attorney that worked with Britney's conservatorship. I'm no longer with them. The caller goes on to allege that Spears had been forced into the mental health facility months earlier against her will. Now, Spears's camp paints this person as an imposter and denies his claims. Um, so after this, a conspiratorial energy develops amongst her followers. After a fan leaves a comment on Spears's TikTok account reading, if you need help, wear yellow in your next video. And lo and behold, in the next TikTok or in the next Instagram video, Spears is wearing what she called my favorite yellow shirt. The Instagram account grew bizarre. Spears regularly posted multiple near identical photos of herself and also videos of herself dancing alone passionately in her house. So after the hearing this June, um, Spears described what happened to her in 2018, uh, this June meaning 2021. Um, Spears described what happened to her in 2018. She was forced by her managers to go on tour, she said, and was threatened that she'd be sued if she refused after the tour. 
um, that if she refused. After the tour, she was told to start rehearsing for Domination, even though she wanted to take a break. The member of her team, also, I just want to add, all of the members of her team that are uh, quoted in this article do not disclose their names. Um, and I just find that interesting, that everybody that is speaking out against the conservatorship is on the record with their names, and everybody else is very hush-hush. Um, yeah, it's almost like they know a lawsuit is barreling down the pike. Exactly. Um, so the member of her team denied the allegation, saying that Spears had enthusiastically signed up for the tour and that her conservators forced her hand only when she attempted to renege after arriving. One day, she said, she refused to do a certain dance move in rehearsal. And it was as if I planted a huge bomb somewhere, she said. Her therapist told her that he'd been informed by her managers that she wasn't cooperating or taking her medication. Uh, quote, which is so dumb, unquote, Spears added. Because I've had the same lady every morning for the past eight years give me my same medication, and I'm nowhere near these stupid people. Soon afterwards, she said, her therapist put her on lithium. The new medication made her feel drunk and scared, she said. Over the holidays, a woman came to perform a psych test, and then her father told her that she had failed the psych test and needed to go to rehab, which she was being forced to pay for, and it would be $60,000 a month. Brittany says that I cried on the phone for an hour and he loved every minute of it, meaning her father. The control he had over someone as powerful as me. He loved the control to hurt his own daughter. 100,000% he loved it. At the facility, she said she had to attend 10 hours of meetings a day, seven days a week for four months. And if she didn't cooperate, she wasn't allowed to see her kids or her boyfriend. So, um... As Spears privately resisted her father's involvement in the conservatorship, he used her money to fight back. And to also, not only did he use her money to fight back in court, he has been using her money for a uh, for PR to paint the conservatorship as being something that Britney needs in the media. Yeah. So, and that's been since day one. Yeah. Yeah. So recent court documents show that Britney, that, or that Jamie's lawyers billed nearly $900,000 for four months of work from October 2020 to February 2021, the bill accounts for hundreds of hours of work by crisis PR specialists who charged between $500 and $900 an hour to respond, they claimed, to media requests. Ingham seemed to be hedging, uh, Ingham seemed to begin hedging his bets. He requested in a court filing that future hearings be unsealed and indicated support for the Free Britney movement as it came to be known. In quotes, far from being a conspiracy theory or a joke, this scrutiny is a reasonable and even predictable result of Jamie's aggressive use of the sealing procedure over the years to minimize the amount of meaningful information made available to the public. In November, Ingham told the court that Spears had informed him that she was afraid of her father and that she will not perform again if her father is in charge of her career. So a financial firm called Bessemer Trust was appointed as a co-conservator, but following Brittany's June testimony in court, Bessemer Trust has now requested to resign from that role, citing the pop star's desire to terminate the arrangement. Um, Lynn, at the same time, began to oppose Jamie's involvement, giving a statement saying that his relationship to Spears was toxic. Despite all of this, in December 2020, the conservatorship was extended until September 2021. Um... In quotes, Brittany knows that her daddy loves her, one of Jamie's lawyers said in an interview with Good Morning America. The Free Brittany movement 
uh, goes on to stage a 30-day campaign to call attention to Spears' story. Jamie's lawyers call the Free Britney movement a radicalized group. Um, She's and they, a nearly 40-year-old woman, and they use the phrase daddy. 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 Also, let me correct myself. It was not Jamie's lawyer. It was a, uh, yet again, unnamed member of Spears' team that said, this is a radicalized group, and they don't care about facts. Um, so Jesus, it sounds, I mean, imagine if like we called prison guards, the prisoners team. Yeah. It's their team. Like what? These are not people working for Britney Spears. No. Let's get that fucking straight. So just to dive in a little bit about like what conservatorships are and can do, um, because I think it's important that we have this context. Conservatorships can protect people and usually, are used to, in quotes, protect people, but are often abused who are elderly or who live with profound disabilities or catastrophic mental illness. But there's also a wide range of alternatives to conservatorships that are less strict than what Spears has experienced, such as conditional powers of attorney or formal shared control of finances. As as conservatorship law is written, the court is required to determine that a conservatorship is and remains necessary. In practice, Zoe Brennan Crone, a disability rights attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union, said, This is absolutely not the case. What should be happening is that a judge at a reevaluation hearing would ask, What have you tried? Why isn't anything else working? And if the conservator hasn't shown that they've tried less restrictive options, the conservatorship should be suspended. But I've never heard of a judge asking that in any situation. Um... So the defenders of the conservatorship offer a set of familiar narratives to explain her ire, that Brittany is being manipulated by a man. At this moment, according to some, her truly, what seems to be amazing, supportive, and loyal boyfriend, Sam Ashkari, with an interest in commandeering her fortune, and that there is a grave, this part is interesting, that there is a grave medical diagnosis behind the arrangement that the public has no right to know. A member of her team is quoted as saying, it is so fucking irresponsible to say, let her do whatever she wants to do. I think it's really interesting that all of the comments from her team are so aggressive too. Like there's such ire in their statements. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, so uh, Brennan Crone, who is the lawyer for the ACLU, goes on to say that there's this concept of the dignity of risk. Most of us have a very wide range of bad choices we can make that society is okay with. But in a conservatorship, you're subject to the decision-making rubric of best interest, and it's possible we'd all be better off if someone was making decisions for us, um, for us like that. But those are not the values of the society we live in. In her remarks this June, Spears gestured briefly to the wider world of broken guardianships. We can sit here all day and say, oh, conservatorships are here to help people, but ma'am, there's, there's a thousand conservatorships that are abusive as well. She told the court that she'd wanted to express these grievances and abuses for a long time, but she'd been afraid to do so in public. I thought people would make fun of me, she said, or laugh at me and say, she's lying. She's got everything. She's Britney Spears. She's so lucky. She's She's a a star. star. But she does cry, cry, cry. (sighs) In her lonely lonely heart. heart, uh, Um, I love, what an activist queen to bring up that a lot of other conservatorships are also abusive. Same. I, okay, some context that I would like to add. Yes. She was 25, turning 26 when this all went, was put into process, which is our exact ages. Yes. 
And I cannot imagine if you and I were not even famous people, if we were put under the scrutiny of a conservatorship trial, we'd be fucked. Yeah, absolutely. And not because we're incapable people, but because when you're 25 and 26, or truly, honestly, any age, I think it's one of those things, like you just said, you're put into a completely different standard when when you're being viewed through the scope or through the lens of does this person need a conservatorship, right? Like you need to be making no bad choices, no mistakes and be taking no drugs or having any mental health symptoms. And it's like very few people would actually like pass that scrutiny in my opinion, especially at 25, 26 as the most famous person in the world and a new mom going through a divorce and suffering postpartum depression and being just, you know, again, the intense scrutiny she was facing. And, and there being intense financial interest in putting her yes. in that conservatorship. Yeah, I think like that is uh, what disturbed me the most about this article was obviously we've all known she's in a conservatorship. We've all, if you're a fan of Britney or just like a decent person in general, you've likely been against this conservatorship for many reasons. But I think the most disturbing part is just the fact that this conservatorship was so clearly set up yeah. before the... before the final breakdown that she had. And it was so clearly being set up by her dad, who, if it is true that she was down to a few million dollars in 2007, 2008, that makes it even more clear that he put her in a conservatorship because he viewed her as a cash cow, as the family business. Yeah, like, who cares if she's down to a few million dollars? That's her problem. Yeah. But, like, the family sees her as their own paycheck. So that's, like, now his, you know, that's his problem to fix. Obviously, that's a problem for her, too. Totally. But, but like, it's not conservatorship worthy. Plenty of celebrities have been lower on cash than that and have come out of it with their comebacks. Yeah. Um, Also, I really resent the idea that her comeback was a result of the conservatorship. I think the very orchestrated comeback was a result of it and maybe the speed of the comeback was a result of it. But honestly, like she has always had like every single person that has ever worked with her says that she has the work ethic of no one they've ever seen before. Like she is the hardest fucking worker and like the most in control person in every working situation. And it's like, so maybe she had a couple bad years, even in her bad years, she pumped out one of the greatest albums of all time. Blackout is like a phenomenal album that she pumped out during that crisis without any help from a conservatorship. Yep. She also performed at the VMAs, which yes, that's the performance that everyone's like, wow, Britney's really a train wreck. But let's also look at that public opinion through the scope of like, that was in 2007 when we had a very different relationship with the way we treat celebrities and Mm. the way we treat celebrity breakdowns, the way we treat women in the media. Obviously, we're still not great with any of those things. But like, had Britney had the year that she was having back then and then performed on the VMAs the way she did that year today, I think people would have thought it was iconic. Yeah. I think people would have reacted the way they've reacted to Cardi B having like these fucking meltdowns followed by like iconic singles and performances. And then, yeah, part of it is also that that was in the height of our anorexia glamorization and she had gained weight because she just had a baby and everyone was like, Britney's so fat at the VMAs this year. And if you actually look at that performance now, she's not at all. Also, who cares if she were? Exactly. 
But um, anyway, there's like this idea that her quick turnaround of like immediately the next year, she's circus is being released that Britney for the record is being released and she's at the VMAs again, but she's like skinny and pretty again. Everyone's like, wow, Britney's back. And it's like, Britney didn't go fucking anywhere. She like was pumping out incredible work for us without the help of a conservatorship. And I feel like it was only a matter of time that it would be a more put together Britney Spears as she just healed as anybody would from her postpartum depression and her divorce. So I fucking hate the narrative that her dad is like what got her back on track. Yeah. Maybe it would have happened in 2009 instead of 2008. Fucking what makes what I think it was $16,000 a month. They reported he is making off of her and creepily lives in a fucking trailer in the town that she's from next to a storage facility full of all of her memorabilia. Like, this man is not well. No. Has never been well. Like, I just don't understand how a man who has a record of alcohol, a history of alcoholism, like, was left by his wife in 2002, has an active restraining order out against him from both of his grandchildren, like both of his grandsons, how this uh, man... Through Britney. Through, through Britney, not yeah. Ja- not Jamie Lynn's kids, I don't know. Yeah, think, yeah, but. just Britney's kids. How he can be con- considered competent to like the, the he's the better one to look after her yeah instead of her and also i mean jamie spear or lynn spears too i find to be disgusting there is a lot in this article um she is interviewed in the article and literally like is giving is like on the phone call like in a closet in her house and it's like i have to be quiet though and like if i if i hang up sorry but like if family members come into the room it could be bad it's like everybody is so complicit in this. Spineless. Spineless, absolutely. I'm like, mm, you must be enjoying that $4 million yeah. home that Brittany built for you, Lynn. Yeah. It's not because you're, go- I mean, like, it's not because you fear for your physical safety that you have to be quiet. It's because you fear for that paycheck. Exactly. Yeah, it's annoying. I mean, I just think it's such important context to remember, like, just how capable Britney Spears has been since she's was like 11 years old yeah, and how much pressure she was under and how there was of course a natural mental health crisis that happened eventually as it happens in almost, I, there's some statistic, I think I, I forget the exact statistic, but the, the majority of people suffer at least one mental health crisis in their life. Yeah. So the fact that that happened is not, Like the only thing that is extraordinary about her mental health crisis is the amount of eyes that were on it. Yes. That is, there's nothing special about her or, or surprising or, uh, damning about her having a tough year in 2007. Yep. And even even in the midst of all of that, I think that she was way more normal and chill and like the Britney Spears that we all remember from the early 2000s than she has been in the last four years. Yeah. Um, when she's been apparently doing so well on these medications she doesn't want to take in this conservatorship that she finds abusive that is essentially... Everything that she does is because of the blackmail of that she won't see her kids or her boyfriend if she doesn't do it. Yep. Like this is right now is supposed to be the the era of Britney that everyone is like, wow, look at how amazing she is. 
Look at how much better she is from 2007. It's like literally everyone is better than they were in 2007 right now. Um. Makes me fucking livid. Same. And I love her with my whole heart. Same. We all owe Britney so much. Even if you think you don't, you fucking do. (laughs) She changed the world and it's she fucking changed the world. Not her team. Not the people who like everyone for a long time liked to think of Britney as this malleable puppet that there were puppet masters behind. But like everyone who has worked with her, all the footage of her, her whole life. She's the one in control. She's the one who's coming up with video concepts for her music videos. She's the one working at least with choreographers, if not choreographing shit herself. She's writing a lot of the lyrics for these songs that everyone thinks that she doesn't write or sing her own songs. She's a powerhouse that changed pop music. She changed culture as we know it. She was the first pop star to be like coming up during the age of the internet, which made her the most Googled person in the world for over a decade. Yeah. Like it is, we owe her so much <laughs> and everyone should care deeply about this. I know there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, that's sad and not like, you know, it's unjust, but it's also like, well, she's rich and has a better life than everyone. It matter. I mean, no. she has a fucking IUD inside of her that she wants to take out. She can't make any decisions for herself. Like it's, I don't, even if she is rich, like she's a million, a multimillionaire who literally has to live off of $2,000 a week and can't go on vacations unless she goes to three meetings a week that her team sets up. For yeah. Her. Like it's just, it's, and she has nobody in her life that she trusts. Cause the second she trusts them, they're cut out of her life. Yeah. Luckily she has her boyfriend. And yeah, it doesn't seem like and he's going anywhere. He seems great. I'm I hesitate to praise him as much as you've been praising him because there's, you know, a few a few people suspect that he's more part of the conservatorship than it's been let on. And I'm not saying that I believe or don't believe that, but it is just put out there and before that's confirmed or denied, I'm not going to be like, "We stand." But also all that information about all these other boyfriends that have been cut out the second she's too close to them. I'm curious why he hasn't been cut out in that case. I mean, if anything, I would one, I like know that people suspect that maybe he might be more of a part of the conservatorship. I just feel like she wouldn't be posting about him so much on social media and like talking about how she wants to social media. No, she is now though. And I mean, she just said, and she just said in the statement that she wants to marry him and have babies with him. Yeah. I think if anything, she, they're probably both making sure that he follows the rules so that this doesn't happen. Totally. I think that's it. Um, she's probably learned her lesson, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll find out, but I, to me, it seems like it's a pretty happy relationship, um, from the outside looking in from like what sources, have said that are close to her in quotes. <laughs> um, yeah. Either way. Um, yeah. There's this really poignant quote from Brittany for the record where I forget the exact words, but she basically says like people make mistakes in their lives and you're supposed to like have certain consequences that like last a certain amount of time and you learn your lesson. And I just feel like I've been learning my lesson and paying these consequences for a really long time. Yeah. And that documentary is from 2008 or 2009. Yeah. I think 2008. It's 2008. Yeah. So 13 years later, she's still paying consequences for mistakes that she feels she made a long time ago, 13 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, she's referring to, like, her shotgun wedding that was, like, in the public eye that everyone thought made her look crazy. She's referring to, like, the super public 
divorce with K-Fed, but I think she's also referring to just the like ways in which she's kind of let herself get taken advantage of by, and you know, I use the term let herself pretty loosely because I don't think it's her mistake or responsibility really the extent to which she is paying for that. Um, but I find it interesting because she does, I think, see this whole conservatorship and this whole situation as this really drawn out, complicated result of a series of mistakes she made. Yeah. And I think that they're the mistake of the people that are supposed to love her and take care of her that are taking advantage of her. I do not think that at this point any of this is her fault or responsibility. Agreed. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. (sighs) I mean, don't be a greedy fucking douchebag. Yeah. um... (laughs) Don't take care or don't like take advantage of the trust that like people have in family for personal gain and treat your family members like a business. But, you know, that's kind of a specific moral of the story for one person in particular. What about you? Um... I mean, I think, like, a main moral of the story is making sure that we're all really interrogating the ways that we play into a culture of misogyny and the way we allow ourselves to be... This, like, sounds, like, so, like, I don't know, college feminist, but, like, (laughs) allow ourselves to be tools, willing tools of the patriarchy or even unwilling sometimes. Yeah, because none of this would happen to a man. No, it wouldn't. Um, Not that there's no men in abusive conservatorships. I just mean the celebrity aspect of it and the way that this all went down wouldn't have happened to a man. Yeah, and um, I think another moral of the story is that Honestly, like when the whole world is watching something and is applying pressure on something that does really cause change. And I think that like that is a big takeaway from this. If it weren't for the Free Britney movement, whether or not you want to call it a bunch of like quack conspiracy theorists online and people like Britney's Graham or, you know, if it weren't for all of these fans who were obsessing over what was going on behind closed doors and speculating, we wouldn't we probably wouldn't have had this testimony that we just had. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear that Britney felt supported enough by her fans and the public that she was able to come out and speak out against it for the first time in 13 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that just keep applying pressure to this and also, like, let us bring that same energy to, like, the entire legal system. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, you know, she's a wealthy, extremely wealthy, famous white woman who is a victim of the California legal system. So imagine how bad it is for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is a really great opportunity. Like another moral of the story is the ways in which the legal system takes advantage of disability, whether it's mental or physical or just differences, really not even just disabilities. Um, And this is a really great opportunity to focus our attention on the other people that are impacted by this like vulnerability that if you have a mental illness or a physical ailment that the legal system can kind of like just pigeonhole you and dismiss you and decide what's best for you on your behalf 
um, that makes you particularly like a particularly vulnerable member of society in a way that I don't think we pay attention to often enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that a lot of disability activists that are like, we love this energy about Britney's conservatorship. Let's take that energy and address conservatorships as a whole. Cause once again, not every conservatorship is abusive and some of them are necessary in a way, but the actual like legal language around conservatorships and the, the ways in which they work, even if some of them are technically beneficial, the like the mechanics of it are extremely corrupt. Mm-hmm. And so even the people that do benefit from conservatorships are happy in their conservatorships. Their family members are, or whoever are their conservators are not being abusive or taking advantage. This still the, the fact that it is like that one person said, it's not being interrogated with each trial mm-hmm. or each hearing. Um, and it's not uh, like, it's nearly impossible as the conservatee to get out of like that is incredibly corrupt and fucked up and we need to fix. Yep. Um, so I hope everyone who cares deeply about Brittany also cares deeply about that issue as a whole. Yep. And including Brittany, it fucking rocks that Brittany said that. Yeah. So, Ugh, uh, I love can, her. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. In conclusion, Free Britney. Free Britney. And, you know, <laughs> test your drugs still. And test your friends on the mouth. Test your holes. Test those as well. And uh, then go kiss your friends on the mouth. And uh, like and subscribe. Yeah. Leave us a review. Leave us a review. Write us we a review. Write a little review. Write it out, folks. And write in your <laughs> mistakes, please. Yeah, send us emails at bestmistakespod at gmail.com. Brittany, come on the pod. Yes. Oh, Brittany. <laughs> we would, I know you're, we know you're going to be inundated with media requests when this uh, July 14th hearing goes your way. But, but we hope that Best Mistakes is your first stop on that media tour. And if you ever want to do Molly with us. Oh my God, do Molly do with Molly us. Do Molly with Brittany. us. Oh, can you imagine being in like a ketamine cuddle puddle with Brittany? Oh, oh, she probably I smells so good. She probably does smell so good. That's the creepiest thing we've ever done on this podcast. <laughs> I just, I just I, you know, it doesn't need to be with us. I just want at some point in the next few years, I want Brittany to be in a Molly cuddle puddle with somebody. <laughs> Same. I want her to be surrounded by people that genuinely love and care for her. Maybe old backup dancers that yes, she's lost touch with. And that Maybe she did old... Molly with back in the day. Yes. Uh, oh my God. She, oh God, Brittany, we love you. And we're sorry. We're sorry for the way that society as a whole has failed you when you've given us so much. So, so much. But we're here for you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>